Welcome to SPAC Island. This is Stanley and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC boat. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please, always do your own research before trading. This is not financial advice. All right, Alex, back for another SPAC talk. Today, I think we should talk about AST, Space Mobile, ticker ASTS. They are in the space game. They're a company that is touting their ability to beam internet from space to your phone, just like magic. How does that sound? Uh, it sounds like magic. <laughs> Maybe we can demystify a little bit as we as we dive in. As a like quick overview of what their technology aspirations are, is essentially they want to put up at least 20 satellites to start out with and then beam internet via 2G, 3G, or 4G, they say 5G, but there's no way, to your phone so that any device can essentially get satellite internet anywhere on the planet. Uh, it's kind of like Starlink, but without the dish that you have to lug around. So imagine just having a cell tower in space and you get cell, like cell coverage anywhere. That's, that's, the, that's what they're claiming, at least. I don't necessarily know if I believe uh, all of these claims, but that's what their initial goal is. So the SPAC is essentially to get the funding to put up those initial 20 satellites to go around the uh, equator where they can provide initial coverage. And before we dive into the company itself, maybe I think it uh, would be useful to talk about the problem space that they're tackling and just talk about you know what they're trying to accomplish a bit more abstractly. Because you know I think for maybe a lot of you know at least for you and me and maybe a lot of our listeners the internet is pretty ubiquitous i have uh you know a few different carrier options i have my phone i'm never really not able to access the internet unless i'm in some remote location where you know i don't expect to have internet it seems like this company is just trying to reimagine how internet access should work specifically that everywhere in the world there should be be a way to get internet such that whether you are in the middle of nowhere in a forest or in a country that has not yet really developed um, a lot of the infrastructure that you would traditionally see in like a place like the US with internet, internet should be everywhere. That's kind of their mission. And I think at least from that perspective, I can definitely say I love it. You know, nothing wrong with giving people the internet. I think the internet is great. So I, to me, it's more of a execution technology strategy type question that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think they have incredible ambitions. They're trying to bring internet to places that just doesn't exist, kind of in the similar vein as uh, Project Loon with uh, Google. And then uh, was it Project Atlas with Facebook, where they're essentially trying to have a mobile cell tower. So some type of drone or air balloon that would fly over and give coverage to people who don't have any uh, internet coverage and essentially bring those people onto the internet. Uh, so they're kind of ACS is essentially tackling the same problem except with satellites instead of uh, more terrestrial solutions. Right. During my research, it seems like it's a little bit more complicated than simply having a satellite and then beaming it to a phone. Was that what you also uncovered in in kind of your read through? Yeah, I think uh, the ambition is eventually to get to a point where the satellite goes directly to the phone. Um, but that's not necessarily the the first stop on the, on their journey. That's right. Yeah, because when I was looking at it, they have a satellite technology that they're developing. 
But then they also have expectations to build towers on the ground to relay that signal to the actual customers. So to the actual iPhones or, or Android phones that the users would have in hand. So, you know, as you mentioned, it, it seems like they definitely want to get to just a pure satellite-based strategy, but it's not like their current version of what they're pitching is exactly that. There's, there's still some ground-level infrastructure that needs to be built. Although it seems like what they're saying is that there sh- you should need far fewer towers. I don't know enough about networking or any of that hardware to be able to comment on whether that seems feasible, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think because uh, right now, if you're if you're AT and T or Vodafone or any of these telecom providers, you essentially need two things in order to make a tower. You need power and you need the internet. And essentially, they're providing the internet, and then Sun or Solar, or some other type of solution, just a, a diesel generator in the middle of nowhere, would help provide the power. So getting the internet to the middle of nowhere, that was pretty difficult. So essentially, if you're AT&T or Verizon or any of these folks, you can partner with these guys and you can get you can solve that in a place where you couldn't easily solve that before. So I think from that perspective and from these guys' perspective, it makes a lot of sense. I think they're they're definitely selling this dream of of having the cell phone somehow have a strong enough antenna to communicate with a satellite, which I think is probably a lot further away than the step goal of just having those uh, cell towers and helping these telecom companies build out that network. In talking a little bit about their technology and how they're doing, I think it might be interesting for our audience to get a readout of some of the the groundwork that they've laid out so far, because they have launched at least one satellite uh, with another to come this year. So maybe it's worth diving into that a little bit. In tw- so in 2019, they launched a uh, essentially a test satellite to help them test some of their initial technology. But I think just getting something into orbit is a feat in itself. It's actually, I'm, that when I saw that, because reading a lot of their tech, I'm a little bit, uh, maybe you can tell, a little bit biased. I'm not too sure about a lot of what they're saying. But having already launched a satellite into orbit that they're using to test, uh, does, at least at some capacity, who knows if they're actually even using it. But the fact that they even got something into orbit is, is impressive enough. So now they're launching something else at end of 2021 in December. Uh, everything's on on track right now. So it actually sounds a lot more promising than a lot of these other companies that we've been tracking. Yeah. And so uh, let me let me dive into that a little bit more. So their satellites that they're sending out, they're calling the Blue Walkers. So they sent out Blue Walker 1, and they plan to send out Blue Walker 3 that you just mentioned in December, uh, or at least Q4 of 2021. So in my research, Blue Walker 1 is a bit peculiar. It seemed like the purpose of sending out Blue Walker 1 was to provide a demo for stakeholders to say, hey, we're not just vaporware, you know, we have real technology that can really work to validate, you know, that their business is worth investing in. And you would think that, you know, okay, you're going to be a satellite company, you're going to beam internet down to earth for people to use on their phones, you know, that you would basically have a test that does just that, right? Send a satellite up, the satellite beams internet down, you have a handset on the earth, and it should receive some packet of information. That would be the ideal test. It turns out Blue Walker 1 actually did it in reverse. So <laughs> what they did, uh, instead of sending up an expensive satellite that would kind of produce, like, basically, I don't know, this is probably really bad terminology, but like generating the internet, like the packets to send to the earth for the handset, what they did was they, they basically made a makeshift handset, like a receiver, and send that to space. 
And what was on the Earth was the satellite that was beaming out packets of information. Uh, okay, yeah. So that's kind of what, what we'd expect, essentially. The, the, <laughs> the um, absolute MVP they could do to, to show something. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what's interesting is basically that means the idea is sending up information is basically the same as sending down information. Uh, I don't know enough to comment on whether that proves out. I mean, their stock is, took a took a bit of a jump, you know, when that happened and, and all that. So presumably mm-hmm. somebody believes that that is a, a viable kind of demonstration of what they can do. Uh, I also, through my research, saw that it was touted as uh, sent via a 4G connection. Um, so presumably it's like something at a speed that would be acceptable to like somebody in 2021, since we're all mostly still on LTE. Uh, only a few, I think, are are really using 5G regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very few. For some reason, they're skipping to from a Blue Walker 1 to Blue Walker 3. And my understanding is that Blue Walker 3 should be actually sending up a real satellite that they would use to beam internet down. So in my mind, Blue Walker 1 was like, as you said, you know, basic, 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 minimally viable demonstration of their technology. Blue Walker 3 should be more similar to what you would actually get as a customer of AST. I mean, two years and a lot of funding um, can make a big difference to that. I think uh, one other interesting thing that that uh, at least that uh, I was seeing was that their satellites are so massive that uh, NASA had some was trying to work with them to to figure out uh, where to place it in orbit. So I think that's also actually a good sign, at least in my opinion, since uh, mm-hmm. you're going to want a really big satellite, at least you're going to want a lot of power because typical 4G only goes about 10 miles. So if you're able to boost that signal to go like 700 miles down and then to the server and then also to the to the end customer, uh, you're going to need a lot of power to boost that. So having a massive satellite with a massive solar array does kind of boost my confidence that they kind of know what they're doing, even if some of their claims are, are just not physically possible at the moment. On their website, I don't know if they took it down. I didn't find it when I was doing research um, recently, but previously when I was looking at it, they were saying that they would do 5G from orbit. Uh, oh yeah, it says on the first thing. So 4G, 5G speeds. Mm-hmm. 4G, at least a typical cell tower 4G will only go around 10 miles. Uh, 5G doesn't even go a mile. Like if you have line of sight, you might be able to eke out a mile, but there's just such a small frequency that it doesn't go that far. So the claim that you could get 5G speeds from 700 miles away is just kind of absurd. Maybe you could get 5G speeds, but maybe you're using a different bandwidth than mobile carriers will use. But uh, my expectation is really 2G, 3G, just because those will go so much further with so much less power. So that's something that is like right off the bat, it's like huge red flag. Like why would you even claim that? I mean, 3G for most of the customers that they're trying to target, because they're not trying to target developed countries where we already have a lot of cell signal. At least their initial demo is really targeting the equatorial regions where there's not as much internet coverage. So those places would be perfectly well served with 2G and 3G. Why not just claim that you could do 2G and 3G because that's a lot more believable. Saying 4G, 5G just kind of smells a little funky. Like, Mm -hmm. Why would you claim something that's not physically possible to anybody who even like has some cursory knowledge of this space. Because uh, I think the the issues around 5G coverage in the United States, at least, has been pretty widely publicized just because of how many, the density of towers you need is just so, it's so immense. So I think a lot of people are at least somewhat aware that 5G is not an easy thing to get a lot of coverage for. So beaming that 
over such vast distances just doesn't really make any sense. And it's also why I'm like super kind of bearish on the, on the company in terms of like from a tech side. I just think that a lot of their claims are just so nutty that it makes me kind of almost think that the whole company is a little uh, scammy. And I think another impact to what you're saying, because I think I'm on kind of on the same page. I feel like 5G is kind of a stretch given, like you said, to the, the physics of it. But it really factors into the expected revenue that you're going to get out of this company in the next, uh, let's see, six, seven years. Because, you know, initially they're not going to generate very much revenue um, because they're going to start in the equatorial countries, as you said. Uh, and the average revenue per user is more or less one to two bucks. Yeah, this, this number was mind boggling to me. So essentially their claim is that they're, they're targeting the people who can pay the least. Like essentially these developed countries where a dollar a month for cell coverage is, is pretty normal. They're going to charge, like that's who they're starting with, who don't generate any revenue. The only way to generate any meaningful amount of money from those folks would be to get a ton of them. But then if you get a ton of them, you overload your satellite. The satellite can only handle so many connections at, at a time. So you're essentially going to just like saturate your satellites with low cost customers. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think even in the US, I think it, my understanding is they wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily like buy an AT&T plan and expect to be uh, sitting in San Francisco and be on AST's network all day long because I think it's more like in the case where you, it's like the new roaming it's like the middle of nowhere mode where it switches to like this alternate network so I don't think that the US customers would be using it very much even if they had it it'd be like people that you know, want to go to Yellowstone and, you know, there's not great internet and this is like at least something to send a text message if you get like, you know, encounter a bear in the woods. But I think the idea that the global, that the, um, that the US and Europe and all these higher ARPU countries are going to be shelling out all this money, you know, to like basically bring the average up and bring up their global revenue projections. Because if you look at their chart, on their financial projections, the equatorial part of the stacked bar chart is never very high. Like mm -hmm. when they tout those numbers, most of it is from this global number, which is heavily weighted up by US and Europe. And in my mind, if the US and Europe customers aren't going to pay that much for this service, and it's going to take a long time for them to adopt, even if AT&T spams customers to get them to add it, I just think they're way overestimating the amount of developed nation revenue that they're going to get. Like, I think this will be mm -hmm. a huge boon to all those equatorial countries where this is like a killer service that they can't live without. But I think they need to, you know, pull down their uh, revenue expectations drastically. I mean, I don't know why you would go after this market segment, though. Like, if you just target the telecom providers and you allow them to put uh, new towers and serve more customers then you, you essentially help them get the internet to those more isolated towers and you have them pay you more. So they're, like, they're not overloading your satellite, hopefully. You're able to get more revenue from an enterprise customer. But that means you don't have to go after this equatorial region. I guess they're not expecting to pay as much. You could go after the northern latitudes and the, these developed countries. Like The same 20 satellites could be allocated somewhere else. I mean, maybe it's a bandwidth constraint. Like There's fewer people there, and so they're trying not to overload the satellites, but at $1, like if you have like 300 customers paying you like, I don't know, like $100,000 a month for all these telecom providers, then that's going to make you a lot more money than trying to serve these 
uh, equatorial regions. Maybe it's just like a PR thing that it's like it sounds like you're trying to bring internet to the rest of the folks, but it doesn't seem like a very good uh, business move. Yeah, it's definitely debatable. I will say the CEO has probably been thinking about that and whether it's cynically, you know, more of a business valuation play to say that it's a consumer driven good as opposed to more enterprisey. Like if you think about go-go in-flight, like if you're on an airplane or a boat somewhere, like those are more traditional markets for these satcoms uh, companies. So, you know, I think that's an interesting pivot to where the CEO previously worked, Abel Abel, founder and CEO of AST. He previously ran a company that actually did satellite communication services to customers that were on like yachts and cruise ships. So he does have experience in the satellite business. Um, they're touting it as like a couple decades worth. So it's a, it's a good amount of battle scars built up in this market. His CTO was, you know, a director, I think, at uh, Northrop Grumman's space division. Um, I think he originally worked at, I think, Orbital ATK, is it called? And then, and then um, Northrop Grumman bought them out. So they do, I think, at the leadership level, have experience in the space industry. I do think that this market isn't as as much of a slam dunk as I think they're trying to portray it. Yeah, that's, that that background uh, helps like kind of solidify him as someone who's been in the enterprise world. I think uh, I wonder how much uh, Starlink has to kind of play into this because, in theory, if you're going after B two B customers and you don't have this direct to cell phone idea and there's not really any differentiation between you and Starlink. Starlink is probably going to be better. It's going to be able to serve more people. It's going to have a lower latency. So when you start looking at just providing internet via satellite, then you're not really a differentiator. The differentiator would be able to go directly to cell phones eventually. So I think maybe that's why they're leaning on that so much because otherwise their their narrative is that we're we're going to get clobbered by Starlink whenever that's completed. So I could I could see that as as part of the reason to really lean into the consumer side, and also to go directly to phones event, or at least to to claim that you can go directly to phones. I mean, just from like a phone perspective, you got to all these OEMs need to put the uh, antenna in to communicate with the satellite because I don't think that current antennas are going to be strong enough. So it's going to be quite a bit of work on both sides to get to change the the phones to work with the satellite. To put antennas in the phone, like if you have an Android phone so, that takes 4G and 5G, you think that they're going to have to release new phones with new antennas? I think they're going to have to modify it. Like I don't know that the antenna is going to be strong enough to reach orbit. Interesting, because that's the whole pitch of this product is that you don't actually you can take existing products and their antennas, and um, that their stockpile of what like a thousand patents is gonna like magically solve that yeah i'm i'm really like really skeptical that a cell phone is able to reach 700 miles outside of the earth i think that's just no no no. remember remember that's like their old like that seems like their ultimate vision no, no, but yeah no no but i guess like the way this is going to work is the towers they have towers on yeah the but the towers aren't a differentiator right like if because starling can serve those towers identically as they can they can actually serve it better and they can serve more of them and they can serve it like in the next year. These guys, the only differentiator that they have over Starlink, the only thing, the only reason you would go with ASTS over Starlink is that these guys claim they can communicate directly with cell phones. But the reality is that the cell phone, I don't think the cell phone antenna is going to be powerful enough to communicate with a 
satellite in orbit. So then, mm, okay, without so you're saying mm-hmm. the ultimate vision is one that is unattainable, yeah, un- without new te- without new hardware in the actual uh, end devices themselves. Yeah, it's gonna be magic. I, I I can't even think of. I mean, you remember we had like uh, there were satellite phones back in the day. I was actually looking at and one of their slide decks. They actually had a picture of a satellite phone. I think one thing that was kind of interesting is that the satellite phone, remember how big that used to seem, like with the big antenna poking out of like a Nokia mm-hmm. type of style phone? But now like- I think it's still a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's still it's still a thing. But I think now looking at it in context with how big phones are these days, like phones are mm-hmm. like mini tablets now. Like they're so much bigger. So that massive phone is about the size of a satellite phone these days. So if the satellite phone has a powerful enough antenna, maybe it's feasible for a normal like larger- uh, phone to actually reach orbit. Uh, you just have to put a little bit more room in for the antenna. So maybe it's maybe it's possible. I mean, I'm definitely not an expert in antenna design or anything like that. So just looking at the size of an old satellite phone with the size of a current modern day smartphone, it seems like the antenna could fit in there. Uh, it just might be a matter of getting the OEMs on board. Yeah, I guess that uh, I think that's really a, a stab at the heart of their ultimate vision but they have to say that vision right because like otherwise starlink's just going to clobber them so if they don't have that they they really don't have anything to stand on it's like hunet like all these uh satellite internet companies kind of are on notice right now and Mm -hmm. you kind of expect that their business to decline over the next couple years because in theories i mean the reality is different at this point with starlink but eventually they're going to get there eventually they're going to be at a point where we could have internet anywhere in the world uh using one of their dishes so at that point, what is the value of a company like this, and especially when they're trying to ask for so much money to build these satellites and put them in orbit? Yeah, that's a good. That's another great point. Regardless of what the valuation is now and what the stock price is, you know they're going to be raising money in the next few years. Like I think everybody kind of expects them to dilute their shareholders over the next few years, because like there's no way they're going to take all the cash they have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, and stretch that out. Yeah, I think uh, I think they said in the deck that it's going to cost like five hundred and ten million dollars to make the first twenty satellites that essentially only provide service for the equatorial region, but they need one hundred sixty eight satellites total for their grant, like mm. for their whole vision of covering the the Earth in coverage. So I don't know. I think uh, that's like so. If we imagine that five hundred ten, maybe get some economies of scale. Yeah, we have billions and billions of more capital that they're going to need to build out the entire network, all while trying to compete with Starlink which is going to have like cheaper launches and cheaper satellites. And even, you know, uh, Starlink actually has like a 5% deorbit rate. So like 5% of all, maybe it's like 5 or 10% of all Starlink satellites that are put into orbit just fall out. Uh, other kinds mm-hmm. of thrusters didn't work or wasn't put in orbit properly or something goes wrong, but they just, they fall out. And they have a ton of them. Yeah, they have, they have literally thousands, like tens of thousands of them that they're targeting to put up there. But the point is that it's relatively cheap for them to put them up. For these guys, it's incredibly capital intensive to put these up. Now they're going to last longer; they're more robust. But at the same time, you're competing with a, like a space launch company, and sp- space launches are really expensive, unless you are that company and you have reusable rockets. So, I just like competing with SpaceX in this territory is really difficult. The only thing they really have is the hope, the dream, the hail mary of being able to contact the cell phones directly. Like, that's really the only leg that the company has to stand on. Yeah, I think it checks out. I think it sounds like there's a big vision that they're trying to tackle, uh, one that's super enticing if they could pull it off. 
it seems like they are making tangible they are hitting tangible milestones towards achieving that vision but it seems like as you dig deeper into what challenges they have ahead of them it seems like the equations don't balance mm -hmm. yeah i think i think that's that's exactly right so i don't have a position in this company and it's i don't know i don't think uh, i don't think i will i think i think even if i even if i believed in the practicality of their vision i almost feel like there's no reason to buy now like they're not even going to put up that 20 satellite payload until like another two years from now like 2022 or actually i guess next year mm -hmm. so like between now and the 20 satellites that they put up and even then they're not even expecting to make any money so 2023 in two more years is the first year that they're going to actually generate any money so between now and 2023 i don't see why i need to risk my capital right now yeah I think I've been looking at some due diligence from different folks, and I'm, I don't have any positions in this. My dad is a big, big advocate of this company. And so I was looking mm. into some of the reasons that people were investing in it. And one of the big reasons is that essentially it's a all or nothing kind of company. It's an all or nothing kind of play. So mm -hmm. yeah, this doesn't really make sense from a technology standpoint, at least to me, as someone who's you know not in, like a technologist, but not a uh, antenna specialist or anything so just kind of from someone with more of you know maybe a little bit more of a science background doesn't really make sense but at the same time if it's some if they're somehow able to pull this off the ten dollar stock price 1050 stock price today is going to be worth a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars so either you get 20 times return or you get zero so to me it seems like if you're going to play this it would be a better long-term option play like maybe a year or two years, like a really long-term option on the company betting on the, on the growth. Because then you're able to capture more of the upside potential. And if it goes mm -hmm. to zero, then you know it goes to zero, but it's going to go to zero regardless. It's just that you are able to capture more of that upside if it, if it does work out. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That, I mean, that's how I would play it. I don't think I'm going to execute on that, but that would be <laughs> kind of my, my thinking if I, if I were to, to go into it. It would be some really long-term options probably past their Q4 launch, right. I would say at least a year, like a really long term, like a leap. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to take that approach, I mean, I feel like you should just try to have buy a contract that uh, goes out all the way to 2023. Yeah. I was, I actually have never tried to buy a contract that long. So I have to look into it. I, like, I know you can buy a year out. I don't know about, I think it, it changes. It's not a leap at that point. I'll have to look into it, but I think... Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like a really long-term contract would be my kind of play here. Because then, you know, if it goes up, if you get that 20 times, then you got 20 times on your contract, uh, which is going to be like just <laughs> an insane return. And if it goes to zero, mm. then that was kind of expected and you lost whatever the value of the contract was. Makes sense. I do not do derivatives, so I will probably sit this one out. Yeah, I think uh, without derivatives, I don't really see the... It worth any any risk or having to worry about it seeing your portfolio going negative and eventually going to zero <laughs> if that's the <laughs> if that's the track it takes which i think um could be could be what's going to happen fair enough man well i think i think we've made our thoughts very clear yeah buy at your own risk but um i don't think the science is there i think they're going to be clobbered by starlink 
and maybe they can they can eke it out. Maybe they can figure out some type of solution for the equatorial regions and people who are underserved with uh, internet coverage. But for the most part, I don't think it's going to be something that is really viable from a financial standpoint or a technology standpoint. I mean, it says right here, they have 161 space scientists and engineers. Oh, yeah. 24 of whom are PhDs, man. And a thousand, I don't know how a thousand you... uh, patents. Yeah, those, those patents are definitely super useful. That actually, I feel like that almost is a, uh, could be like some type of uh, robotic um, short play where like the more somebody talks about their patents, the less likely they are to succeed. Yeah, I, I really, I'm always curious about what kind of patents people have because a lot of times like, like I've seen, I've had like clients in the past who've had completely BS patents, but they just paid a lawyer to get some patent on something that everybody knows about. And a lawyer can figure out a way to get a patent. So I wonder, like, do these people just pay lawyers to just write patents? I'm always curious where they get these these patent hordes. I mean, just because something's novel doesn't necessarily mean that it's useful. Yep, exactly. Cool. All right. Good stuff, man. Till next time. Till next time. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show, and to tell us which SPACs to review next. Note, the opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and not of any entities that they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research.